0: Welcome once again to another episode of Demand Gen Radio, the one program that brings you all the latest methods and technologies for driving growth and increasing demand. With the voice of Demand Gen, David Lewis. All right, welcome everybody to another episode of Demand Gen Radio. As you've been seeing, I've been very excited as we approach episode 100, uh, and that is today. So this is the 100th episode, and for me, it really signifies two things. One is, I have to say, when I started the podcast, I didn't know if it would be successful or not. I didn't know if I'd end up doing 100 or even more episodes than that. It just seemed like a great medium to tell some really good stories and share information with all of you, and it's been successful, and I really enjoy doing it. Um, But like anything, when you come up to a milestone, it's the 50th of this or the 25th of that, uh, it's 100 episodes. And what I wanted to do was invite someone that's had a very great significance in my personal life and in my business life, and that is Joe Payne. So, Joe, thank you for joining me on this 100th episode.
1: Are you kidding? I am honored to be here.
0: I think you were surprised when I reached out and you're like, Dave, I, I haven't been in that marketing ecosystem for a little while now. Why, why do you want me on the program? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share why in a minute, but you, you were surprised, weren't you?
1: I was definitely surprised. I really don't have anything interesting to say that I think your listeners are going to be that excited about, but, but since your game and since we started this whole thing together, we might as well jump in and Hopefully, we'll uh, we'll find something that keeps people tuned in.
0: Yeah, well, well, don't hit pause right now, people, because trust me, Joe's got a lot of great information to share with you. He's just too humble. Um, here's why I wanted to have you on the, on the podcast, Joe. So, you know, I'm going through my, my career. I'm going through my life. And as you know, I became an Eliqua customer back in 2003, and it was the very first time that I had ever brought in marketing automation to a company, everything prior to that was stuff that we coded up with IT. And when I discovered the platform, uh, I felt like I saw the future. I was like, wow, we don't have to code things or build things anymore. We can actually bring in this platform and deploy it and start doing the kind of marketing that I had always dreamed of. And so, as you know, I I fell in love and became a very big fanboy of the company and spend about three years driving marketing at Ellie Mae. Uh, and I think somewhere about a year into that, I decided I would start a user group, right, and invite all the other Eloqua folks uh, in the Bay Area to get together so that we could talk about what each other was doing. And back in those user groups, there were things like, here's how you build a form on a landing page and create you know, mm-hmm. pre-populated field values. Like, we really had to geek out with one another because there was no manual, there were no recipes. But the reason that I want to bring you on, Joe, is... You know, there was a there was a day that you got a phone call from me, and I said, "I'm so passionate about marketing automation and Eloqua, and it seems like from these user groups that marketers it's this is just a foreign thing to them." And I would like to go create an agency and be the very first agency of its kind to help people. And you even I remember, Joe, you said to me. Um, Dave, I'm not sure you want to do that. Like, we don't have a really gigantic install base of customers at this point, and you're doing really well at May. Are you, are you sure you want to do that? And, you, you know, we, we talked about that, and, you know, you said to me in so many words that you were willing to take a bet on me, and that's why I wanted to have you on this program, Joe, because, you know, Aliqua was a fairly large company at that time, nowhere where it eventually, you know, ended up. But you didn't have to say yes. And, you know, asking your team to actually drop a agency agreement and go through that, you certainly didn't have to. And if you hadn't, Joe, if you hadn't taken a bet on me, where would I be today? i don't I don't really know uh, you'd probably
1: be the CEO of Ellie Mae by now right now. that's, I, that's I, what I, I figured you'd
0: be <laughs> I, I doubt that jo- Jonathan's doing a great job, but I appreciate i you know, I'd be doing something, but I wouldn't be doing this. And that's why I wanted to thank you because you've not only helped. My career, and you know, made the past 12 years the happiest uh, 12 years of of my life and of my career. But you've also given way to. You know, hundreds of jobs of the people that have worked uh, and come through the doors of DemandGen over those uh, those 12 years and countless um, customers. So, for me, you know, this podcast is, is an extension of the business. It covers the methods and, and technologies. And I just really wanted to take a time to not only thank you by having you on this 100th episode, but to go back and talk about what we both were experiencing at that time and how it relates today. So, thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, and for those of you who don't know Joe, uh, if you can't already tell, Joe was a uh, chairman and CEO of Eloqua from the 2007 uh, to 2013, just a little bit over six years. And through that time, Eliqua went from being a private company to being a public company and then later acquired by Oracle. So let's let's talk about that journey. Hey,
1: Dave, before you, before you leave the beginning story, I think one of the things that if you're listening, you ought to know is that when one of your good customers calls you, and says they may be going to do something else, your first reaction should be, are you sure you want to do that? <laughs> because you have a great customer. You never want to lose a great customer. And Dave was definitely a, a great customer of Eloqua. And he, as he said, he organized the user group in San Francisco. But the second thing is, if you can be part of anybody's startup story, it's a whole lot of fun and it's super satisfying for the rest of your life. I've been lucky enough to be part of three or four uh, companies getting started, and it's just fascinating to to, to see it, it just be a really small part of the uh, tale, somebody else's exciting journey. The other thing, it was really serendipitous um, that you called at that time because we realized, you know, we were only a $10 million revenue company at that time. We were really little, and we were trying to make this marketing automation thing come to life, and we had just decided probably two weeks before you called that we needed to build an ecosystem. And in order to build build an ecosystem to help us grow this incredible idea and this incredible market, we needed to actually give up on our own services business and just turn our services team into sort of, you know, uh, the Marines, where they drop in for a few deals here and there, but we we needed, if we were gonna have a real army, we needed help. And um, so it was great timing and, um, and for, for one of our best customers to sort of be the first partner in, was uh, was just really lucky for us and so I'm glad it's worked out and here you are you know gosh 10 11 years later and it's, it's it's still rocking and rolling and you guys are still providing great services and really leading the market in innovation so that's exciting and I hope I, I hope the listeners appreciate that um, these kind of relationships can last a long time
0: yeah, and, and for everybody listening, uh, just just full disclosure, Joe and I have had pretty mixed words over those times as well. We are both two very driven, very passionate people, and, you know, whether you look at any relationship, whether it's with your spouse or significant other, we enjoy looking back and saying, you know, where were those uh, points of friction? And what's interesting is any conversation that Joe and I ever had that was was passionate, was really about customer success you know what what would it take for clients to be successful and that's where we had some really great uh, discussions and and thank you for that Joe and always it always it challenging me to be a better better CEO what was it like when you got there though I mean the company had been around for a couple of years like you said you're doing about ten million in revenue and you know what I witnessed in your organization as CEO is your team really rallied around you. You brought a level of, of passion and leadership um, and, and took that company from the, the founder mentality to being a real company and one that was was poised for great success. How did you do that?
1: Well, I was really lucky. We, we had fantastic founders. Um, they um, had built a really good product, but also a product that had a, an incredible amount of power, you know, one of the things that that is really unique about, about Eloqua as piece of software is we never had a customer once tell us, I wish it could do more. I wish you could build these features or that features. In fact, we always had customers saying, you guys have too much stuff. We can't possibly uh, put all this in the marketplace. So even when I got there, when we were a small $10 million company, Steve Woods, who had, had led the uh, product development team, um, had really built a very powerful platform. Uh, for marketers and um, and and Paul Tashima, uh, also uh, one of the early employees, not technically a founder, but one of the you know first ten employees or so, uh, had built this um, great customer service team uh, that was focused on customer success. I actually think you know in the in my early days there, uh, Paul set up um, probably the first customer success organization in the software industry, certainly one of them, if not the, and we started immediately building out, um, best practices in customer success that lots of companies, um, are, are using today. But anyway, I was lucky. I got to Eloqua and there was a really good foundation that had been laid. And, um, it was, uh, and I was also lucky because I had been a lifelong marketer and, um, Eloqua was probably my fourth CEO job. But before that, I had done marketing at Procter and Gamble and Coca-Cola, and then I had moved into the tech industry and been a CMO at MicroStrategy. And so, as a lifelong marketer, here I am trying to help marketers do their jobs better. So it was really the you know the perfect intersection of all the things that I was interested in and uh, passionate about. And um, and again, it was about building a world-class team early on and um, and really focusing on how to help marketers actually use this really powerful technology. I think, I mean, I think that's why we, we we reached out to folks like you, Dave, to help us. How can we make this simpler? How can we make this more straightforward? How can we develop the best practices that marketers need? But also I think one thing that separated us at the time, and I think it's still maybe a little bit unique today um, is that we were focused on helping our customers win. Mm -hmm. We, we were so proud of uh, the market leaders, um, that, that we powered their marketing. And we found that, um, when we would go into a certain vertical, we would get one company in that vertical and that company would start beating its competitors and then they would all come and and join too. And we had a number of, of verticals where that was the case. And so, you know, one of the, one of the things that I am sad about in the marketing space is there have been vendors in this space who, who will tell clients, Hey, this is good enough. You know, do this. This is good enough. You don't have to be great. You just have to do what's good enough. And we never did that at Eloqua. We were always about you need to do the hard stuff to win your market. And we're going to do everything we can to help you win that market
0: you did, you really pushed marketers to get out of their comfort zone. And you said something I want to come back to is, you know, you spent a lot of your career in marketing. In fact, I did a podcast. Um, this is going back maybe 60, 70 episodes where I said, you know, it's today's CMO, tomorrow CEO. Talk about that, Joe. Like did your experience in marketing and marketing leadership help you in your role as, as CEO? And if so, you know, how?
1: Yes. And you and I share this, this belief that C, CMOs should be um, considered for CEO jobs probably more than they are, but let's talk about sort of why they should be, and then how come maybe they're not as much. Certainly helped me. It's the skill sets that you have as a marketer are all the same skill sets that uh, that good CEOs need. You need to be good at organizing your thoughts, your ideas. You need to be good at convincing other people and selling them on your ideas. You need to be um, capable of recruiting great people, Um, again all communication skills extremely important and um, you need to be analytical and you need to be able to look at data probably probably the most important skill a CEO has is their ability to synthesize lots of information and make sense of lots of information um, and and then take action on that and those are all things that marketers naturally um, should be really good at and so I, I think like your podcast I I, I spoke a lot to marketing uh organizations, particularly five and six years ago, and just was really pushing the idea that marketers need to be considered more for for this uh the CEO role. But there are things that marketers do to themselves that 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 sort of um take them out of the running. And I'll yeah. tell you a story of my own story that it's kind of interesting. I was on a board for the first time, somebody had asked me to be on a board and I was an acting CMO mm-hmm. and um and I was sitting on this board of directors and all of the different uh, management team members came in one by one and presented their data, et cetera. And then the CMO of this company came in and started talking about the logo and started talking about the colors on the logo and, uh, and then went to the trade show booth. And I remember as a first-time board member how irrelevant all of that was to, to the board and to the, to, to the long-term success of the company. And I remember thinking, wow, that's me, that's what I do. I think my last board meeting as, as CMO, I, I think I might've even talked about our logo, you know, and, and it was a really a strong wake up moment for me to, re- to remember that what um, boards, by the way, are, are important because they're the ones that pick CEOs. So if you don't, if you don't learn how to communicate to a board, you'll never become a CEO because they're the ones who'd be interviewing for it. And so as you're thinking about your career as a marketer, um, think first about how you present to your CEO and that same skill set will help you eventually as you talk to your boards But marketing is one of those. It, it's the only group that comes in front of a board and talks about how right not the what mm-hmm. and so I'll give you a, a, a real specific example yeah. when the CFO comes in and he talks about where the cash is he says here's the cash balance and he doesn't say or she doesn't say well, I hired um, a bunch of people to make phone calls and we send out letters <laughs> to people with their accounts receivable. And, and then we, you know, we collect the checks and we take it to the bank, etc. They just tell you what the cash number is. Right. And, and the CMO will follow and tell, start to tell about all the trade shows and start to tell about all of the, um, you know, all the campaigns and all the email and want to show pictures and, and, and really want to sort of do a song and dance. And what what the board wants and what the CEO wants also is show me the results. You know, how many leads are you driving for the business? What kind of revenue are you driving? What kind of website business are we getting? Not how did you get those things, but what did you get? And save as a marketer, we're so excited about the work that we do and the things that we do and the creativity that we show we, we want to talk about that. And there is a time to talk about that. Talk about that with the marketing team, right? Cause the marketing team cares a ton about that, but don't talk about that with the, with the executive team and don't talk about that with the board. If they ask you, sure, we'll share that. But only after we've shared the results, don't let you, don't walk into the trap your CEO might set for you, which is, Hey, come and talk and do your dog and pony and show them the new logo and blah, blah, blah. Stop and say, nope, I'm not going to do that. I want to talk about our results first, and then I'll talk about how we drive our results. If people are interested and they and they want to do that, but as a marketer, you'll be surprised how often people really don't need to see the dog and pony. They don't care about the colors on the trade show booth, and um and if you if you you know if you think about that and you carry that, that'll really help you as you talk higher up in the organization. For
0: sure, I mean it comes from how difficult it was to measure marketing in the past, right? So you know, I I actually. I think, I think there's a balance. What I would say to what you shared is it's not never share what's coming up. I think some, there's some marketing teams that are way too siloed and, and kind of operate in a vacuum, and they don't telegraph out to the sales team or other organizations like, here's the campaigns and here's what's happening. But if all you talk about is that and not the expected results or what the results are, then like you said, you're going to get in that trap where it's just the activity trap and, you know, uh, you are. You're, you're, you're talking about meaningless, uh, irrelevant stuff, and it, it, it makes it's bad branding uh, for marketing. I remember Joe very early on in my career. I worked for Alan Lefkoff. He was the CEO of Fairlawn, um, one of the best CEOs I've ever worked for, definitely pushed us, challenged us. We had this meeting where I was, you, you remember this, right? Web trends, right? So we had deployed web trends back in the 90s, and we were able to track for the very first time analytics on our website and look at traffic. And we were leaning towards going to into e-commerce. And so by deploying the technology, we were able to see how many people were coming to our site and the abandoned rates on pages and traffic patterns and looking how people actually use this application. Uh, but when I showed a chart of website traffic in front of the entire leadership team, he said to me, which felt really awkward at the time to the point where it stuck with me, he says, Dave, why are you sharing how much website traffic there is he goes i'm sorry i don't get it like why is that why does that matter why are we taking everybody's time in this meeting to go through that and i actually just you know my tail kind of went between my legs at that point i was like what am i doing wrong how does he not understand that more and more traffic is a good thing and driving traffic is you know but it was a it was a huge wake up call to me that not any of this stuff is necessarily uh, intuitive or translatable like you said you know the ar you know under thirty, 30, 60, 90 um, you know those metrics and how they relate to cash flow and that type of stuff. you don't need to talk about the how of how you do accounts receivable. you just need to talk about uh, you know that but it's getting that getting that balance right. Talk to me, Joe, about the Super Bowl right we, it wasn't wasn't too long ago, a few weeks ago that we had the Super Bowl and you did you were early on and uh, you were at Coke and and uh, certainly Coke's been a huge advertiser the Super Bowl for years. This this year it was Pepsi, although I think Coke had uh, you know, inserted a couple commercials there. Um, what do you think of the Super Bowl this year, and and what do you think of the CMOs that that still just completely amp up the organization? Like, hey, we are spending $5.5 million on a 30-second commercial, and here's what it's going to look like, and get everybody excited about it. I mean, do you think there's a time and place to do that? That's a bunch of questions. So what do you think of the commercials? reflecting back on, on your experience in, in branding and marketing? And then what do you do? Do you keep it a secret and not talk about it? Or do you get the company hype that you're that you're running a big spot uh, in the most-watched television show of the year?
1: First of all, I, I have a good Super Bowl story because I've actually advertised on the Super Bowl hear um, in, the, in the in the heydays. Um, so it wasn't at Coke either. At Coke, we always passed on the Super Bowl uh, because we we just didn't. We had so many sporting events. That was not the one we were going to spend our, our, our money on. But um, I worked for a tech company called MicroStrategy, and I was, we, we were one of the first tech companies to advertise on the Super Bowl, and it was the year 2000. And we ended up having um, a spot there, and it was it was super fun. Um, I, I we self-produced it because in the middle of building it, uh, our CEO walked into a meeting. Uh, With our ad agency and he fired the ad agency even though he'd never met them before (laughs) because he told them that he thought they were stealing money from us and um, It was a really awkward situation then he turned to me and said, go make the commercial yourself and so we self produced a commercial um, And we our whole theory on advertising in the Super Bowl is still valid today. It was hey the Super Bowl is also the Super Bowl of marketing because every marketer in the world watches the ads and we want to see and and put our opinions in and see how people are positioning themselves, et cetera. And and in tech, our view was, hey, every tech uh, CMO is going to watch this. Uh, We sell to technology companies. This was at MicroStrategy. And we wanted to get them to know who we are right away. So it was worth spending the money. I told Michael Saylor, the CEO, that we would get 15 million of press coverage because we had an angle and we were a tech company, we were different than the beers and the chips, et cetera, before the Super Bowl. And that actually turned out to be true. We got so many, we got two national TV stories on the fact that we were advertising on the Super Bowl and we got a bunch of different uh, national press stories, including in USA Today. And so by the time the Super Bowl rolled around, the two and a half million that we had spent, that was the cost back then, we had, we had already gotten 15 million plus in, in uh, media. So you know you can you can justify these things sometimes if you have a good angle our our commercial by the way flopped uh we got crushed <laughs> in the next day uh and i'll tell you the funny part about why it flopped is um we had this woman who walking through an airport and she her uh cell phone remember this is 1999 yeah. so it's pre-iphone her cell phone buzzed and it said your flight has been canceled would you like to redirect your flight would you like to rebook your flight and it was this cool, you know, thing. While well, there's a guy next to her, you know, uh, stumbling and bumbling and trying to talk to someone on the phone, and she just handled it all on her phone. And um, and we got slammed in the in the in the reviews the next day because the 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 author said, "That's crazy. That's not even possible. No one will ever actually do that." Wow. And and when you look back now, you're like, "Well, we we do that. I did that yesterday. We do that every day now." So we were a little ahead of our time. The, the general public didn't like it. This year on the Super Bowl, I think um, the spots with uh, with Bud Light were fantastic. What a great positioning. None of us knew that beer had corn syrup in it. Light beer from Miller and, and Coors are the two leading beers, and um, Bud Light just came and hit him with a broadside two-by-four upside the head with this corn syrup claim. Now all of us know that those two beers have corn syrup in them just from watching a couple of funny ads on the yeah. Super Bowl. And it, these things will affect – sales, they, they will absolutely affect sales. So great marketing there because not just about being funny and cute, but also going and talking about product, which is very rare in the the beverage industry. And, and also kind of exciting in my view, because you know, the efficacy of your product is important. And we know that, uh, we know that in tech as, as, as much as anyone else.
0: And you can appreciate being from Coke. We, we talked about it that, um, you know, the question is, do you ever want to put your com- competition in a commercial, right? They're, you know, Bud Light, you know, it was their commercial, but they put their competitors, you know, names and, and, and sir the names. And um, if I re- if I remember, your belief system was hey, you wouldn't do it if you're number one, but you sure might do it uh, as they did if you're number two and you're trying to climb up up the ladder. Do you think it's going to change their product, Joe? Do you think it could have that much of an impact that one day uh, in the not too distant future there there isn't high fructose corn syrup? uh, in light beer?
1: Yeah, no, I, I think, I think that's going to happen for sure. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I think, listen, going back to your point about, um, going back to your, your point about competition, this was our challenge at Eloqua, by the way, um, with Marketo, because we, we were the first marketing automation firm and, um, you know, you don't want to spend a lot of time. Um, you don't want to spend any time talking about the up and comers. And if you're the up and comer, you spend all your time, comparing yourself to the others. And if you do it well, you can basically um, improve your market position in the eyes of the buyers, just by constantly talking about the other the other person. So I think it was a super smart move by Bud Light. I think it was a pretty smart move by Marketo in the day as well.
0: Let's let's go back to 2007. Why did you join Eliqua? You had had a very successful career, worked for some really great companies. What was it about Eloqua, as you remember from interviewing and talking to the board and, and getting recruited from them, that said, you know what, this is this is where I'm gonna spend you know, six years, you didn't know at the time, but you know, spend a big part of your career, and, and, and what was it?
1: Well, actually, uh, not everybody knows this story, but I started at Eloqua as an interim CEO. Um, I was going, it was in Toronto, I live in D.C., and the, the investors wanted um, some different executive leadership and uh, they needed it in, uh, quickly. And they said, hey, would you come and do this for a couple of months and help us find a new CEO? And that was my job. So I was hired. Um, I, I started uh, immediately recruiting for the new CEO and interviewing a lot of candidates. Along the way, I started working with a team. And again, I found this amazing marketing product that to what, you know, to your point earlier, which is it showed the value and helped prove the value of what marketers were doing in a way that I'd never seen anything do that before. And not just from an analytics standpoint, but also from, you know, workflow standpoint, R- really, really uh, great technology. And I started this visit customers and, uh, you know, within a month, the other thing, you know, it, it's one of the things that's interesting uh, going back to that time. In the first month that I was there, Paul Tashima and I sat down and we basically redid the entire pricing. Mm-hmm. Uh, of. Uh, at the time, all SaaS products were seat based, everyone, because Salesforce had been seat based and they were first. And so everybody followed and was seat based. So the, the model that you have today um, in almost all marketing products, which is database size related, was invented by Paul and I in January of 2007. And so I had just been there a month. We redid that. It really was the right thing for our customers. It was the right thing for our business. It it helped us scale from the very largest customers. At the time, VMware, I think, was our largest customer, to the very to the very small customers. And it was fair to everybody. You basically the value you got out of the platform, you know, was commensurate with the price you paid. And that wasn't the case with seats. And because you know, you might have twenty people at VMware and you still might have four people at a, at a small company and the math just didn't work to charge the seat prices. So, um, long story short, I, I felt like, wow, I can really help this company. I can make a difference here. I love what their product is. And I went back to the board and said, look, I've been interviewing candidates, but, um, I think I could actually do this. <laughs> and, and so, uh, they interviewed me and we, uh, unfortunately lucky for all of us, that, that I, um, that I was able to convince them to, that, that I could do the job and, that was uh that was just a few months in and then I was there for 6 years so again just just love the space and love being able to help marketers
0: you were super passionate about customer success and customer advocacy. You had people like Heather Fay and others. It's, as you probably know, it's kind of all the rage today about customer experience experience and um, customer retention. It's almost like, what did, did people forget how much that matters? And when 65 plus percent of your revenue comes from your install base, you better really delight them and make them uh, happy for all the obvious reasons, and yet some companies are always so focused on net new, but you guys weren't. I mean, you guys really put a tremendous amount of money and resources into customer uh, success. I, I think you were a certainly a pioneer in that area as well, as well as, Joe, in, in sales enablement technology, right? You guys, even though that Eloqua was a platform first and foremost for marketing, uh, you guys, during your, your reign there, um, built some tools so that sales in Salesforce and sales within their own, uh, email communication could be more um, collaborative with with marketing and doing that. And we all went through how difficult that is, right? Because sales doesn't adopt new technology very easily, let alone even live in their own uh, CRM. So a lot of, lot of great, great impact that you had there. I wanna talk about the a bit of the war of the worlds, right? Because you at that time, I remember, you were mad at Phil and John Miller uh, for their pricing strategy. You felt like they were really undervaluing uh, at that point as they were trying to be so aggressive in the market. And certainly, you you haven't been there for a while. Let me tell you, the pendulum has shifted. Uh, Eloqua is no longer more expensive necessarily than Marketo. And uh, I remember reaching out to you and letting you know, like, hey, I've got we've got all of our eggs in one basket. We're, we're hitched to you, and you guys are a tremendous partner, However, our customers are are moving companies, uh, and we want to move with them and help them be successful. And we launched our Marketo practice, which I'm sure didn't make you very happy at the time, given um, how we got started together and and our partnership. But I'm, I'm curious to get your view today of the landscape, if you have an opinion. I know you've been out of it for a little bit, but you still are. Uh, you know CEO of code 42 and actually code 42 uses uh, marketo uh, how ironic is is that and you and I you and I have had some conversations there so what do you think of the the marketing automation market and technology landscape today the what what's happened with your baby with your company under Oracle, if you have an opinion and and where you see the future between the the wars that are being waged
1: well if you if you go back to your your first point about like uh, when we first came out when marketo first came out and I, I felt they were undervaluing the the capabilities of, of our market. I, I, I did believe that. And, and, you know, listen, price fixing is illegal. So we could, I couldn't have that conversation with them, <laughs> <All right. laughs> but, but, uh, but we, you know, we felt like that, that there was a lot of value that we were adding and creating to organizations and that marketers were adding and creating by buying our software. And we wanted to make sure that the value was, was somewhat shared. Um, but listen, the, the great thing about our economy is you need a bunch of people in a market to make it a market. I'm always wary of places where they, you know, uh, people that say, Oh no, we have no competitors. Well, mm-hmm. then you don't have a market. Mm-hmm. So at, at Eloqua we had lots of competitors all the way through. And, um, and the Marketo team was actually just the best one. They, they were good. They did a fantastic job. Um, they were really smart early on and this is a trick that I, um, had never seen used as successfully as they used it. Um, and which is you know, they didn't have any customers. And so early on, and so they always talked about how marketo did marketing. And so they used themselves as their own customer all the time um, very effectively. And I thought that was uh, that was a that was a smart strategy and and it, to help them get their first early customers. And um, and I'm not sure the best way to combat that, but I have used that strategy um, since with a couple of companies that I'm associated with and on the board of um, you know, Hey, if you don't have the references, don't worry about it. Use yourself. And, uh, and, and they did that where I think John Miller was the architect of that strategy. And it, that, that was very, very effective. And obviously Marketo's had a great, uh, has a great run. And, uh, a- after we went public, they went public and, um, they got bought, uh, obviously by private equity folks a few years later, and then now by Adobe. So they, that's been, that's been great. In terms of like how the market works today, Marketo was, the best option for my current company uh, and we use it today and I still we are still talking about some of the same things we talked about 10 years ago
0: mm-hmm.
1: so I hope under Adobe's uh, leadership um, they will continue to work on best practices and uh, and forcing marketers to be uh, a better I think you and I talked recently about, Hey, we should be running a sophisticated lead scoring pro, um, model. Right. And every every company should be doing that. They, we shouldn't be doing the easy. What's the easiest way? You know, that's the other thing that we didn't talk about. There, there's marketing sometimes as an organization will talk at the executive level and at the board level about the easiest thing to do. And no other department. Ever does that? You'll never hear the engineering team say, "Well, what we decided to do is is the easiest way to solve this problem, not the best way to solve this problem." And I, I sometimes worry about that when I when I when I talk to marketers, who'll say, "Well, I don't want to do anything too complex." And what you learn is that the, the people that go to the effort to do the complex are the people that end up winning their markets often. So the times to do easy and, and simple are not in how to drive your company to be successful. Um, they're, they're in, you know, be easy and simple in how you structure your organization and about how you allocate budgets and all that kind of stuff, but not in how you uh, build your marketing automation programs. And I'm, I am, I remain passionate about that. And so, um, I continue to push my team, uh, at Code42 to, to be more sophisticated. And I think that's, uh, something that, that all marketers should to make sure that they, they catch themselves, if they find themselves saying, I'm trying to do the thing that's easiest.
0: Right. I think for, for marketers certainly listen to the, the podcast, something very interesting to point out is that, you know, wherever you view the market share leadership today between Aliqua and Marketo, um, two important footnotes. Uh, when Eloqua went public, they were, you know, you guys were acquired, what, six months after the, the, the IPO by Oracle. And I believe that at that time, you know, you guys put almost back a billion dollars to shareholders, making Eloqua one of the most successful or the most successful technology IPO in history. Uh, and a few short years later, like you said, they were acquired, Marketo was acquired from being public by Vista, and turned around and sold to Adobe for almost five billion dollars. And so you've got two companies, you know, A and B, the, the Coke and Pepsi. You you decide um, who your Coke and Pepsi is that are setting records for uh, you know acquisitions and and uh, return to shareholders. And these are technologies that fundamentally power marketing. So it just shows how important the applications are, and both companies have a huge responsibility. In ensuring that the future of those platforms continue to be uh, successful. You said early in the podcast, you know, that your customers uh, back in the day were like, "Hey, there's so much capability. Don't add any more. I'm just trying to catch up right now and use the stuff that's there." And now in today's marketplace, with a lot more competition, um, it's not the most features that win. It's the most approachable and the, and the the tools. Kind of comes back to your point, Joe. I, and you and I have talked about this. The platform that can tell the end of the story, do the the Jerry Maguire, which is Here's marketing's impact on revenue. The platform that can do that the best and the fastest is really going to continue to win as opposed to the one that has the most features. If you can sh- help a marketing team discover the impact or the problems that they're having the best, you're going to win a lot more business later on because, you know, the email and the landing page and that technology, that's all table stakes these days. It's its are you helping me to run and, and, and drive the business? Um I you know, don't get a violin out for me anytime, Joe, but it, it is still the biggest challenge I have, which is we've elected to partners with the best brands out there, and they compete directly with each other. Uh, so just you know, this past weekend, I was with Adobe. They were nice enough. We won Marketo Partner of the Year, and they were nice enough to bring me down to Pebble Beach and enjoy the, the pro-am with them and talk about their partner strategy and their roadmap. And as, as you know, you handed uh, a really nice trophy to my team years ago for being your best partner uh, when you were at, at Eloqua. So we've we've tried to partner with the leaders in the space, and sometimes that causes—it's almost like divorced parents, and it causes a lot of uh, tension. But I, you've always said to me, Dave, as long as you do right by the customer, then you're you're doing the right stuff. I'm curious, though, how you feel about the market these days, right? I mean, Eloqua was your baby, and and the culture that you built and the team that you created was so fraternal. And, and I don't mean that from a male perspective. I mean, like, you guys still to this day bond and, and spend time together. What do you, if you had to make a prediction of what the future looks like uh, in this space? Uh, you know, Adobe's one of the biggest software companies in the world. So is Oracle. They both own two of the leading marketing automation uh, platforms and other technology. What what do you see, if you have an opinion, a couple years out, what's going to take to win or who's going to win?
1: I think the, the, the company that wins is the one that puts the customers first. And it's it's easy to say, oh we are a customer oriented company the question is is what do you do to prove that you know what are the things that you do and i i think we were real students uh at eloqua on what are the what are the things that we can do to prove to our customers that we care about them um a lot and so specific examples of that is if you signed a one-year contract with us we would still guarantee your pricing for three years you buy the same thing for three years we'll charge the same thing and that was sort of flat pricing model that people were like wow that's that's you know that's very favorable we had a we were so confident in in our uh ability to make customers successful we gave a money back guarantee i think we were one of the first software companies that i know Mm -hmm. that offered a money back guarantee uh to our customers and you know over time there were seven or eight customers at Eloqua actually took advantage of that money back guarantee. And they, and they said, you didn't give me the value I wanted. And we cut them a check and gave them their money back. And, um, and those were great moments for the, for the company, oddly enough, because, um, for Eloqua, because one, we learned, you know, it was like a canary in the coal mine. We found where the problem was that we had fallen down. Did we oversell them? Did we not implement them? Well, Uh, were we not providing the right features and functions for them did the product not work there was always something that we found where we messed up and um and and we were able to fix that and the price of losing one customer it was much better to lose one early than lose 10 later and so that was a real gift and the other thing is it showed our employees that we really did stand behind what we sold Mm -hmm. and um and so it's one thing to tell your customers that but also your employees and and people want to know they have work for a company that is that is good and that cares about customers and so you know all throughout there were things that we did that were we really tried to put the customer first we we didn't raise prices on customers we you know that's something that's kind of in vogue today with South companies but mm-hmm. we basically our philosophy was we will sell you more but you've got to get value you're gonna buy more you know more uh, more contacts, or you're going to buy more capabilities or functionalities or we'll build more stuff. But if we just provide you the same thing we did last year, you shouldn't have to pay more for that. And, um, and that was a really different way of thinking. And that's about putting the customer first. So I, I think the one that wins in the future is the one that puts the customer first. I think those companies have very different historical values on that. And so they'll, they'll live by their traditional values. And we'll, it'll probably be obvious who wins in that scenario, or they'll adjust and they'll they'll start Caring about the customers uh, in a way that is that is uh, super helpful for the customers. That to me is how you judge all categories and all companies. Is those that treat their customers well and help them win are the ones that are gonna are gonna win their markets.
0: Awesome. I want to hit two more topics uh, before we wrap up. And by the way, um, you are my 100th episode, and and we will you know th- this is a a monument episode. What I'm going to do is follow-up is uh, I've got Jay from Adobe that will be on the program. Uh, he runs Adobe's partner program. I've got Nick from... HubSpot, uh, he's general manager, runs the whole marketing hub. I've had him on the program. Uh, Dave Helmrich, if you're listening, uh, or if you work for Dave, let him know. I'd love to have him on the program and talk with the leadership teams at all the different marketing technology leaders and, and get their take on where they're taking the company, so that that you know the listeners can hear um, what's coming. Because I, I know that everybody's really trying to make their clients successful, but to your point, some are doing it better than others, and, and really way more passionate about customer success. Uh, and and the person who provides the best customer experience, they're going to win certainly over the product because that's that's the world we live in today. Uh, platforms and, like Gainsight... And Dave, yeah.
1: and Dave, one comment on partners, by the way, because you, you brought it up is like, you know, if you're a company like, if you're one of the vendors, you expect your partners to work with multiple folks. They, they don't work for you, so by definition they're independent, they're going to work with multiple people. I think partners are really critical in growing the business and they challenge vendors and they push us to build new capabilities and functionality and they help with customers. What, what you expect out of partners though, is that is that they operate within the best interest of the customer too, not their own best interest. Yeah. So, um, the only time that, that I've had problems with partners in the marketing automation space, um, and you and I had arguments, we would argue about like, Hey, should a smart start be a week. Should it be two weeks? You know what should be included in the smart start etc mm-hmm. but when we argue about that you and i are arguing about what's in the best interest of clients and we might have different points of view just based on our experience but but the still this fundamental argument is is how do we help serve our clients better and those those are great arguments to have where where i got in trouble i only got in trouble with 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 one other partner where i struggled was when they basically told us look we'll re- if you give us uh, every deal we'll represent you as the best uh, product and uh, the very next day, they would walk across the street and and say, "Well, we're going to represent the other product as the very best product in this space," and uh, because they paid us more. Yeah. And um, that was just not a situation that was, you know, something that I was excited about. And and you and I have talked about that one at length. But yep. but I think I think you know the best partners will uh, represent multiple vendors, and um, and that gives them you know unique. Capabilities for customers and helps with some of the best practices at
0: times. It sure it sure does. I mean, before my my dad uh, passed away three years ago, he and I, you know, for my entire you know technology lifetime, you know, I was a, a young technologist. He and I would talk about Mac versus Windows and he was a huge fan of Microsoft and a huge fan of Windows and I worked there so of course I was early in my career but I also had Macs and PCs at the household and we would you know have some really good discussions about the differences and I think for a lot of folks like and you know this like it's it's rare that the platform is failing the customer. I mean, it it does happen, but it's rare that that's the case. There are so much capabilities in these platforms that I can have a conversation, my team can have a conversation with a prospect that's looking at multiple different platforms and in a conversation, in an hour, really be able to tell them directionally which way to go because we have, like you said, that, that expertise. There are questions that we can ask about their use cases and about their environments uh, and about their technology stack that we can say, okay, in your situation, we probably would recommend this for this reasons, but it's not about the features. It's rarely about the features. It's more about you know the integration capabilities, the APIs, the scale, um, whether they're B two B or B two C, and and other factors that have little to do with the the feature set. Um, the question I want to ask for you, Joe, and I think this is um, probably going to I ho- hope it's hope it's my favorite question um, because we're we're both now CEOs and we both grew up in marketing. What advice would you give to Marketers that are rising in the ranks, or even CMOs, as a recipe for success in their own in their own careers. From a CEO's perspective, you touched on some of it earlier, but I really like to hit just some of that great sage advice uh, from you for marketers that are, you know, looking to move up the ranks. Some heading towards CMOs, some heading towards head of marketing operations, but all really seeking uh, responsibilities with the executive team and the leadership team, uh, and to shareholders and customers. What do you think?
1: Well, first of all, um, I will start with a saying that we use at, at Eloqua, and we still—I use it now, uh, and, and the all, most all Eloquins will use it—you uh, know—in all the various places where they've landed, which is get it done and do it right. And um, so, the first advice for any executive, no matter where you're coming from, is there's two parts to your job. One is to get the work done, and that's first. The second is how you do it is really important. You know, are you the kind of person that brings a positive? Uh, are you a positive source of energy for your team? You know, are you a person that people like to work with? You know, do you do you share uh, glory um, as, as equally as you take blame for failure? You know, th- those are the kind of people that we all want to work with. And I found in my career, those that know how to do it right and are accountable and take responsibility for themselves and are humble. Those are the folks that, that advance. So get it done, do it right is the most important thing. But if you're a marketer in particular, I think learning how to develop a cadence that, that sets you up as one of the executives um, at the table is really important. And what do I mean by cadence? What do you report on every week? You know, what are the metrics that you use to report on to talk about the health of the business and the health of what you're doing on a weekly basis, on a monthly basis, on a quarterly basis, so that you're part of the normal cadence and you're not, you're not the, you know, the court jester. Don't become, don't let yourself become the court jester that comes in and entertains the executive team with all the fun marketing that you're doing. Because while you might get the laughs and you might, and people might, uh, you know, every third or fourth meeting, love the campaign that you're working on you're not gonna be viewed uh, as the as the senior business executive that you wanna be uh, viewed at. So figuring out that cadence on metrics I think is critical. And then of course you can intersperse some of the creativity and the ideas. I think when you and I talk a lot about metrics and about showing uh, you know the success of what you're doing, sometimes people mistake that for meaning, oh, you guys don't think creativity is important. I actually think creativity in marketing is as important as ever. In fact, it may be a little bit lost in the B2B world because we're so focused on metrics. So mm-hmm. I, I, I want to separate my belief in creativity being critical with, with what do you report on, on a weekly basis, the exec team, and then to the board on a quarterly basis. Absolutely. You need to be creative. You need to be fun, but you don't always have to lead with that. You don't have to share with that. That's what's going to drive the results that you're going to report, but it's not, uh, it's not, it's not more important to, to be in the place of.
0: Great advice. Uh, I want to say again, Joe, thank you so much for that day when we talked and, and taking a bet on me. Um, I uh, for you to have the passion that you do about customer success and entrust those referrals and those introductions uh, to the company. You know when I when I was getting it off the ground was greatly appreciated. I still remember uh, to wrap up a funny time when you well your team said, "Hey, do you guys want to sponsor Eliqua Experience?" And I said, what is that? And they said, you know, we're putting on a conference together and we're going to be in Las Vegas and we're going to do an event, invite our customers there. And I said, what's involved? And they said, well, you know, you can have a booth and you can have a... And a booth then was a a tabletop. Uh, And I said, (laughs) you know, and as you remember, you guys had... Stop doing professional services. You had pretty much said, hey, listen, we're going to enable the channel and we'll do some for some select customers that we need to do it for, but we're we're going to be very channel focused as Salesforce was. And so uh, you asked me to sponsor it. And I said, sure. I mean, I was so grateful in any way that I could help make the event a better experience. And then I think some point during the conference, you said, hey, are you guys ever going to be at your table? Because you're, you're not at your table. <laughs> and I said to you, I'm like, we, we've got Fourteen clients right now, like we can't handle anymore. I, I, I don't even want to go there because if I, I know that people will be like, "What do you do?" and "What do you want to do?" Uh, and I just, re- just remember those early years of um, just how many people were really thirsty for ideas and information on on how to use these platforms. And uh, as you've left the the you know day to day market of marketing technology and and didn't see uh, ABM and a lot of the other Martech tools right there's seven thousand of them right now the chaos has gotten far worse and the complexity I mean you're you're leading your organization and watching your marketing team uh, try to put all these pieces together and make the right investment. hey but, Dave hey Dave yeah
1: Dave I think your I think your listeners deserve the other half of that story by the way which is you 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 guys always had this great party bus at at our events and I think we started a little too early in the morning for the demand gen team, uh, on day two. And so me giving you grief about not being there was partially because you guys had gone out and had some great times the night before. We were all a little bit younger back then, but
0: there yeah, could the have been Den. elements of that as well.
1: <laughs> the Man Den's party bus was a thing of uh, was a thing of beauty, I, I think, and I, I'm going to to this day I'm going to hold that I never set set foot on that party bus, even if you still have the pictures.
0: I do know? have the pictures, but they're locked <laughs> away for just very special viewing for you and I when we go skiing or do something fun together, and we can we can look at that. No, yeah, your your well, handlers last, were not happy. We sequestered you away at some point.
1: <laughs> well, last uh, last point on that, by the way, on those, you know, one of the things that that was another example of, of caring a lot about customers was the Marquis, And uh, we, you know, Steve Gership, um, you know, came to me early at, I think I was in my first year as CEO and he said, we need to celebrate the success of our, our best customers. And I was all in and I said, what do you have in mind? And he said, let's grow, you know, the Marquis, which is like the Oscars. Mm-hmm. And, and then he said, we're going to even get the trophy made by the people that make the Oscar. And I was like, wow, that's ambitious. And we did, and those trophies weigh like 40 pounds. Yeah. And they're awesome. And it was one of the best things we did at, uh, at And because there's no greater feeling than to be able to go to a black tie dinner uh, with all your customers and celebrate the ones that really crushed it. I, I think marketers aren't celebrated enough for the creative uh, ideas that they have that drive their business. And you watch sales constantly get club trips and sales is always brought to the front of the room. And, you know, I remember this story when, um, we were doing it, even at Elko, we would bring our salesperson to the front of the room cause they closed the giant deal. And, um, you know, my CMO, Brian Carden leaned over to me, I was in the back of the room and he said, you know, that salesperson has been on this. He joined the company about four months ago. We've been nurturing that customer, that prospect for 18 months in marketing. And I can tell you all the touches that we had against them, um, whether they were emails, whether they were, you know, podcasts, whether they were blogs, you know, marketing events that that person attended that that cost prospect attended. And here we are celebrating the rep that's been here four months who closed the deal. And that was really uh, an important moment for me. Cause I was like, you're so right. And so we, that's what the marquees were all about. It's let's make heroes of the people that are doing a lot of the work behind the scenes and maybe not getting credit for it. And, the marquee has been copied by every software company on the planet it today. Has. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and appropriately, so I don't, we don't begrudge that. We didn't, we didn't, uh, we didn't try to patent it because anytime you, you celebrate the success of customers, I, I think it's, I think it's fantastic. So I encourage everybody, if, you, if your company doesn't celebrate your customer success, somehow you should. And if your company doesn't celebrate the success of your marketing team, you should talk to your CEO and, 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 you know, one thing that I always tell CEOs where I'm on the board is you should have at least one, maybe two people from marketing attend club, because I promise you that every one of those deals in a B2B uh, organization that drove the salespeople who make club, there's a there's a marketer or two behind them. that were nurturing those deals for a long time on behalf of the company as well. And so we we always send uh, our marketers uh, at least one or two of our marketers to club every year.
0: Such a great point. I mentioned that I was down at the the Pebble Beach uh, Pro Am, and I'm I'm not a golfer. Let me just say that you know. So for me to actually get to meet a lot of the pros that were out there and talk with them was was really cool. Here's the here's the point, Joe. I was talking with one of the golfers. I think he was uh, in like 25th place at the time, Tony, and he was talking about his journey as a kid growing up and learning how to play golf and hitting into a mattress in his garage off a little carpet square and he focused so much on the masters and so you know when i asked him a question i go what's more meaningful to you you ready for this getting a green jacket putting on the green jacket or getting a check for 2.7 million dollars or whatever the tournament money is and he goes green jacket every time you know he he hasn't he hasn't gotten the green jacket yet but it's like you said, you know, like you guys did. You you went to the company that does the Oscar trophy. You created those. Um, you were always, by the way, in your best element on stage leading those and and being the the host of that. You did an amazing job. But the marketers who would get up there and grab that trophy when you award it to them and take those pictures and post them online, that was their day uh, more than anything else. Anything that they had ever achieved, any campaign they ever launched or you know, anything they ever done. Like it was a symbol of their their success. It was great. It it, it still goes on, but there's no Joe Payne on stage. It's 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 not what <laughs> it was, but uh, it started by you guys. Great. Well Joe, thanks so much for joining me. Um, thanks so much for for celebrating the hundredth episode and and again um, all the support you've provided to me personally in my career all the careers that you have created uh, through that relationship and and all the customers that you've been successful and and thank you for um, letting my team work with your team which wow. is which is cool we have never actually been in that dynamic before but I know my team really loves working with the code 42 uh, marketing group and we've had some great chats about your marketing strategy and some of those programs and like you said don't don't try and do it easy do it do it right
1: well, I honored to be here and I'd like to put in a request that for the five hundredth episode, you know, you invite some of your old friends back. So I'm I'm you know, I'm putting it on my calendar now. I hope wow, hope to be joining you when when we're both sixty five or so. Can't
0: can't can't imagine five hundred, <laughs> but I also couldn't imagine one hundred and and here we are. All right. Well that's gonna do it. Dave. Yeah, thank you, Joe. That's going to do it for this episode. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in, and I uh, hope you got some some great ideas from Joe. I mean, the big takeaway is, right, if you're in marketing, make sure that your success and your impact is, is known. Make sure that you care about your customers and love them. Uh, if you want to go as far as, as offering them money-back guarantees, that really says just how much you believe in, in your offerings and find ways to help them celebrate uh, their successes. Again, Joe, thanks so much, and thanks for everybody tuning in. We'll catch you on the next episode. Take care.